Uh, I'm, I'm Donnie Dillon, the campus minister for Gators for Christ, and I work with University City Church of Christ in Gainesville, Florida. And uh, right now, springtime's hit, and uh, things are in full bloom. Actually, they never stop blooming in Florida. Uh, we've gone from a, a really cold winter of 60, 70 degrees back to 80s and 90s. And, uh, uh, and right now, uh, tonight we have our spring football game. I will obviously not be there, uh, but uh, it's a sure win for the Gators. We've hit some rough times in the past few years, except for last year. We got a little bit better, but, uh, but uh, it's been great ministering to the University of Florida. Uh, we have a campus ministry of about 100 students in a church body of about 450, so about one out of every four in our church family is a college student, and uh, that matches more better with the dynamics of the university town uh, that I live in. Uh, but uh, right now in the spring, there's, I don't know if this sounds like Tulsa, Oklahoma, or other places that you're from, but we have a ton of, almost every weekend, there's uh, some fundraiser or some kind of golf benefit or some dinner uh, that's benefiting uh, a charitable organization. Does that sound like a lot of places? It just it started in February and uh, we've had golf benefits for kids cancer. We have a huge children's cancer research, research hospital in, in Gainesville, uh, Shans UF Healthcare. And, uh, and so there's a lot of fundraisers for that. A lot of students get on board, a lot of people. Uh, we have a ton of uh, any type of fundraiser you can think of. Uh, benefiting kids, benefiting disadvantaged youth, benefiting anybody uh, with any kind of disability whatsoever we have uh, probably running through the next uh, few months here in Gainesville. There's good people that get involved with uh, the service pro service uh, organizations and service projects in our town and in our community. Uh, there's bad people that get involved with them as well. I've lived there for 24 years in the same town, so I know a lot of people that are like, that guy's kind of a crook, but yet he's standing behind this organization. Uh, and so there's good people, there's bad people, and then there's Christian people. There's us that get involved with service projects. And hopefully we do it for a different reason. We don't do it to pat ourselves on the back. Uh, we don't do it uh, for a claim to fame or even uh, to uh, just have our church stand out, although those are, that is a good benefit. But uh, we do it for the glory of God. We do everything we do in service for God's glory. And hopefully we're, like Kerry Cox was talking about in class he did, and taking the crowd, uh, taking people from crowds to conversion. Hopefully when we're doing service projects uh, w within our churches, uh, within our youth groups, within our campus ministries, within our church bodies in general, that we're doing them for a purpose, that we're not just going in and helping people for one-time deal or for one weekend, but we're really building relationships with other people. We're really taking time to sit down. I know one of the last service projects we just did uh, before I came up here was St. Francis House, uh, which is the homeless shelter in Gainesville, Florida. Uh, and there's just a number of women, especially women and children, uh, that uh, that are there. And it's not hard to get our campus students out to that because we're like, you know, hey, do you want to serve dinner primarily to uh, women? And uh, the average age in St. Francis House is seven years old to women and their children because the average homeless person is a woman with like three or four kids. And so uh, at least it is that dynamic's true in our town. Uh, so our students are like, yes, absolutely want to help serve in that capacity. But a lot of the organizations that come into St. Francis House come in, serve a dinner, leave, you know, come in, serve, and take off after they've served the dinner. What we try to do that's different is really I ask all the students to please uh, be very intentional in doing this, but go out, sit amongst those that are there, uh, and just ask them, you know, what they can be praying for. You know, how can I serve you? What do you need? 
Uh, don't ask them about their life circumstances unless they want to volunteer the information or what put them there or anything that would embarrass them. But really get to know people as people, as Jesus would do that. And really be intentional in helping get to know them, praying for their needs, inviting them to church. We will pick them up. We will find a way. We have a lot of our older members in our church family that will come and pick them up, as well as our students will come and pick them up. Uh, but we ask our guys to minister to the men, uh, the few men that are there, and our ladies to minister to the ladies and the children, and, and really be intentional in bringing more people uh, to uh, church. Uh, so that's what I really want to address today is, is uh, not just being about social justice, uh, and there is good reason for social justice and, and being fair to all, but Christ took it a step further, serving with a purpose. Are we serving others' needs with a purpose? Whether we're talking about a service project or whether we're talking about uh, when we you know, see a homeless person on the street or when we have the opportunity to meet somebody's needs one-on-one, are we serving them with a purpose? Are we serving and meeting physical needs without meeting spiritual needs? Or are we really meeting the spiritual needs that are out there? And this is something that's near and dear to my heart. When I was started as a young youth minister 24 years ago, uh, and I did the youth ministry for eight years, uh, service projects were probably one of my least favorite things, and it was hard for me to do it. Uh, and then I, as I grew as a Christian and matured in my faith, I realized this is what Christ was all about. This is exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And now we try to do at least three or four service projects a month as a campus ministry. Students are always coming up with different ideas. But when they come up with an idea, instead of saying, we're, we're way too busy to do that, I say, hey, why don't you help us with that? If that's near and dear to your heart, why don't you help me co-lead that event, help me draft students to that event and to be a part of that and then when we get there, meet the physical needs to meet the spiritual needs. And we've also taken our missions trips. We do missions trips every summer, maybe like many of your churches, to Honduras uh, and to uh, El Salvador. And most recently, we started going to the Bahamas, and that sounds more like a vacation than a mission trip. But uh, we've been very intentional. We had a student that entered our campus ministry from the Bahamas. He's like, hey, where I'm from, it's no vacation. It's behind the scenes. It's a really poor church a really poor community, so we started plugging with them. And we've been very intentional on making things sustainable, uh, meeting physical needs so that we can meet spiritual needs every place we go. Even though we're going in for a week, we make sure to leave a person behind that wants to stay for the summer and help continue to meet those needs. And, and training up, uh, if they don't have trained leaders to work with the youth or to work with college students, because we, we do a lot of door knocking when we go to Honduras and other places, but we make sure that we leave sustainability behind, that we have people that are meeting the needs of these young people while we're not there the other 51 weeks out of the year. Uh, so those are some of the things that we're doing. I'm going to pass out a sheet on everything that our church and our campus ministry is doing uh, just a little bit. But can we go ahead and click? All right. I want to start with the, uh, and this is what we're doing on our Wednesday night series back at home with Peter Church Christ. Uh, but I want to start with the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The word merciful in this beatitude is not simply possessed of pity, but actively compassionate. Sometimes we're reactive with our compassion, right? We see a need, we're like, okay, how, do, how can I help this person? Or we think about it and we go, oh, I should have helped that person. Instead, Christ was actively compassionate. You look at the Greek word here, Luke's account of this teaching, the command, be merciful, just as your father is merciful, uses a stronger Greek word that means proactively compassionate for the ills of others. Are we 
seeking out people that we can help rather than reacting when we see people that we can help. Um, let me ask you guys a few questions. Uh, before I do, I want to bring up one example of a student in my ministry. Uh, he actually just graduated. He uh, just got a job in engineering, moved uh, to Mickey World. He moved to Orlando, and he's now an Imagineer. Uh, but uh, before Jacob O'Neill moved, he was one of my interns with our campus ministry because he was always very actively seeking out the needs of others. Uh, and as an intern, I would expect him there, obviously, every Sunday and Wednesday, helping meet the needs of new students coming in, getting to know others, and and helping be a right-hand man to what I was trying to get done and accomplish in our campus ministry. But there was two or three times early in his internship working with our church that he didn't show up at all. And I was like, Jacob, where were you? What were you doing? I didn't see you at all. And I, we had a lot of visitors here tonight. You could have been meeting him. He's like, well, somebody broke down on the side of the road. And instead of passing him by, I was like, I need to help them right now. So and he would always find people. It's like he was a magnet for people that were breaking down or help. He was always getting out of his big pickup truck and helping people that needed help. And then instead of getting on him, I was like, that's exactly what you should be doing. You know, hopefully what we're doing in church is practice for what we're doing out there in the world, which is actively meeting the needs of other people. Um, so let me ask you guys these questions. And this is uh, open forum, so maybe uh, one or two answers per question. In what way do we commonly think of God showing mercy to us? And uh, who has their Bible open? Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. Somebody could look up that for me. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate that. Uh, so my question to you is, what, in what way do we commonly think of God showing mercy to us? Maybe based on the verse, or maybe not based on the verse. What's the first thing that pops into your head? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Amen. Yes, absolutely. Forgiveness. Yes, sir. Every comfort you have. Say that again. Every comfort you have. Amen. Giving us. I appreciate running hot water every morning. Uh huh. I was raised without that. Mm-hmm. Now everybody expects it. Yes. But in my time, that was a miracle. That we're running hot water. Yes. So everything we have, can you imagine explaining a cell phone to your great granddad? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't he use the phrase over and over? That's a miracle. Yes, absolutely. Everywhere I go is 60 miles an hour. Wouldn't he say that's a miracle? Yeah. And we're around miracles every day and don't even appreciate it. We take our blessings for granted. These smartphones that we have, technology right at our fingertips. Uh, and sadly enough, we take it for granted and we spend way too much time with the stuff rather than meeting the needs of other people. We feel like we're the most connected that we've ever been, and we are, but in some ways we're not. We've lost this uh, with neighbors and with friends and what you said about running water. That's so true. Uh, uh, and my dad tell, always tells me stories about growing up in upstate New York without running hot water, and it's just something we take for granted. And we may not always have it, you know, but it may go away someday. But that comfort that God gives us, that comfort that God's, God provides in your life, are you willing to give that comfort away to somebody else? Are you willing to give that comfort away and that peace and joy of knowing Christ to somebody else? Well, you can do it very easily by meeting somebody's physical needs like Jesus would and then opening your mouth and telling them why you're doing what you're doing. And not for our own glory, but for God's because we love other people in Christ so deeply. Um, 
how do we most often think of showing mercy to others? So now, when we think of God, what's the first thing that pops in your mind before we read the scripture? But somebody please look up Matthew 6, uh, 14, 15, and then chapter 18, verse 33, 33, 35 for us. Before we read this, how do we most often think of showing mercy to others? Yes, sir. Well, I would think, uh, do they deserve it? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, we, you know. Yeah. Uh, using the example of the homeless man on the street, uh, uh, the holding up a sign like needs help, and, and, then, and then I think to myself, oh, you know, automatically, even with the class I'm teaching, sometimes the first thing that pops in my mind is like, oh, you know, they'll just spend it on alcohol if I give them money. Uh, but there's always, if you're actively compassionate for the needs of others, there's always a way around this. So we we sat around and brainstormed in our campus ministry and said, because we have a lot of homeless folks at our interstate exchanges where you're getting off and on the interstate, said, how can we solve this problem? Our students came up with a solution of, because uh, a lot of them had gift cards uh, like uh, that they didn't use as often as, like, if they had an Outback gift card, that would get used. But a McDonald's gift card for $5, they're like, yeah, I used, you know, I just slipped in there. I was like, why don't we go out and buy, we have a McDonald's at every single uh, 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 exit in Gainesville, Florida. We have four exits. We have a McDonald's and a Birkin H1. So we challenge each of our students to go out and buy, you know, five or ten five dollar gift cards, and then give those away with a Bible to each homeless person they encounter. They can only use it on food. Now we're not prejudging, and we're giving them an opportunity to be actively compassionate and loving on people like we should be. Yes, sir. They just want to live that way. Yes. Yeah. Right. So we Saying somebody That's a very good point. Saying somebody wants to live that way, I feel like it's a cop out. And that's not to say there aren't some people that are like, oh, I'd rather not work and stay in this situation. But is it up for us to judge? We need to give and be giving people. That'll keep us, that's the quickest thing to keep us from being actively compassionate is if we start prejudging somebody instead of really giving our lives like Christ. Yes, ma'am. Well, this conversation is just, it answers the question that we think of showing mercy to others is giving them stuff. Right. Not healing. Right. Right. Taking the time, it was cool because the last time that happened, uh, right, uh, this is about two weeks ago, I gave one of those gift cards away. And then my father-in-law, who's retired, I was late to a meeting. I was like, well, I've got to go. But he was following me to the meeting, and he didn't have to be there. So he said, "I'm gonna, you go ahead. And then I came back an hour and a half later. He was still there talking with the man and praying with the man. I'm like, that's, that's what we're supposed to be doing right there. Mercy, I, I think of when I first heard the question, I think of the the way we define grace and mercy and the difference between the two, mm-hmm. like uh, grace being unmerited favor, mm-hmm. you know, a gift that you didn't deserve. But mercy is often described as something you did deserve, but you're not get, like we deserve separation from God because of our sin. Right. He doesn't give that. Instead, he sent his son so that we can have mercy right. and we don't get that the punishment that's there, the consequence so even if we're thinking they deserve about you know even even if that's the first thought we have maybe that's not true right. but we're seeking to go beyond that and right. it they're in that situation now and mercy is saying regardless of how they got there 
what I do next and showing them right. kindness or love. Or, Amen. Very good point. Showing true mercy is having the mindset of Paul, who said in 1 Corinthians 13, before the great, you know, love is patient, love is kind, so on and so forth. He says, if I give everything I have to the poor, but I have not love, it benefits me nothing. Right. It benefits me nothing. And what he's talking about is what kind of love? Is that uh, uh, romantic love? Is that eros? No. Is that phileo? Maybe, but that's not the kind of love he was talking about. He was talking about God's unconditional love. And God's unconditional love is merciful. It's giving. It's completely compassionate to the needs of others because we realize what we've gotten from Christ ourselves. And we want and can't help but give that away to other people. Um, who is Matthew 6, verses 14 15? <coughs> Whomever jump in. Forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Thank you. And if you could uh, read off also chapter 18 of Matthew and 33 through 35. <coughs> do you want to be forgiven? Forgive others. 33 35. Yes, sir. Chapter 18. Should you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And the anger his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all the <coughs> This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. We've been forgiven of a million dollar debt, you know, just like being merciful and servant, but he wasn't willing to forgive of basically a hundred dollar debt. Are we willing to give to others just a little <coughs> of what God has given to us immensely. Alright, uh, if you can flip it. A couple more questions. We probably won't hit all of these because due to time, uh, but uh, I'm going to hit at least number three and four. How might our behavior be perceived to be merciful? This is a really good question. While the condition of our heart is not. Have you ever been there? I know I've been there before. How might our behavior be perceived to be merciful while the condition of our heart is not? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we give to be on that donor list, or we give to be like, hey, you know, may not necessarily be our first thought, but sometimes we give and just for self recognition, we're just like, what am I doing? What am I thinking? This is supposed to be for God. I want to give because of all that I've been given to. You. Yeah. Anybody else? Yes. I think it goes back to what you were just saying about. When Paul said, you know, if I give everything away but I'm not loving people um, with the love that I've received, then it's not, it's, it's pointless. Mm-hmm. It's, it goes back to intention. And right. Do you want people to feel that selfless love that you've experienced? Right. And that love will automatically say, hey, I'm doing this because of Christ. I'm, I want to show you what I've been showing. It may not happen in that very first conversation, but it's going to be happening if you were intentional with that person sometimes you only have one chance and then you have to be intentional right there right then with at least giving uh, invitation to church but I think it's so much more to really tell them about our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ and really explain to them why what drives us to do the things that we do uh, can somebody read for us Matthew 6 1 through 4 whoever's there be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Through verse 4. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, on the streets to be honored by men. 
I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Mm-hmm. And giving in secret doesn't mean you necessarily have to give when we... Nobody else not okay, now I can do it. <laughs> no, it's, it's doing it not for self-recognition. It's doing it because you care about that soul so much like God does. Um, and then finally, this question, how might our feelings be inclined to compassion, but our actions fall short of being truly merciful? How might your feelings be inclined to compassion, but your actions still fall short of being truly merciful? Before we read James, uh, can somebody uh, answer this question for us? Yes, sir. Um, earlier there was a lesson on the Right, putting yourselves in other shoes uh, and realizing what your life would be like if you were in the same place. What would you want from others? Empathy, being empathetic. Excellent. Uh, who has James two fifteen and sixteen? Suppose a brother and sister is without clothes, David, and if, you, if one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm, and well fed, but does nothing about his physical condition, what good is it? Mm-hmm. And I, I'll even take that a step further. I'll say, I'm praying for you. you know. But if I, I remember um, we were doing a Coats for the Homeless project where we were giving out, we had all of our students collect coats, uh, not necessarily their own, but just from that of our church membership over the course of. Uh, two months, and again, in Florida, it doesn't really get cold till January. It doesn't get cold, colder than 60 or 70. It, it dropped to like the, the 30s because there was an extra cold winter this past winter that really affected the whole southeast as well. Uh, so um, it dropped for a week. It was extremely cold, and not everybody could fit in the homeless shelter. So people were out in the streets, and we were handing out all these coats that we collected right when we got back from semester break, Christmas break. We were out there handing out coats to the homeless. And we got done, and I was like, we had a couple extra coats, and I was like, oh, here comes one more. Okay, here comes two more. And we got done with handing out just enough coats uh, to all the homeless and praying with others and, and, and sharing the Bible with others and giving out, uh, uh, instead of just New Testaments, we were giving out whole Bibles that we found for a dollar. We were like, this is awesome, and, and really talking to some people. And we even got a couple of those people to come to church with us uh, that are still with us. Uh, but there was one guy that came at the fit, like I was almost halfway to my car after I thought we were all said and done and he's like hey I didn't get a coat and he was about my size I just got a new coat from uh, uh, Burlington Coat Factory I mean it wasn't exp- it wasn't really expensive but I was like it's hard for me to find one that fits really well and I was like oh this is perfect this will last for the next 10 years I'm like he's like oh I'd love to have a coat I'm like here you go so, I was thinking that in my mind and I, and I feel like I'm answering this question like I'm, here's my compassion but I'm not really compassionate and I was like and then I had to like really fight through that thought and just like hey why am I even here and forget about it and just let it go uh, and even though it was the only coat on the rack there that fit me uh, it was good that it fit him and then I just forgot about it and so uh, but the bigger thing was I had to like really question myself on this question later on and then uh, go back and uh, seek that gentleman later and, and really apologize to him for being a little hesitant. Compassion doesn't necessarily, I mean, like, you can be compassionate mm-hmm. towards something and really feel bad about it. Right. But that doesn't make you merciful. Correct. You know what I mean? Correct. Oh, that, yeah. I'm, I'm so sorry. To understand. But not doing anything. Right. You're not actively seeking anything. Amen. To understand God's mercy as 
we understand it from Christ of what he's done for us. What we didn't, what we did deserve, but didn't get. We don't, we deserve death, but we don't get it. We get eternal life because of what Christ has given us. Give that away. All right. Uh, and then this last question, just, uh, think about that or write this down, but what can we do to be more actively merciful in our lives like Christ? And not just as a church body, but you as an individual. And it, when it's us as an individual, it really hits home. All right, go ahead and uh, next slide. All right, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, Matthew 5, 8. While a heart of mercy will motivate someone to engage in good deeds, we often think of purity as a matter of avoiding evil deeds solely. James, however, teaches us that this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. My dad uh, was a foster child, so we do a lot of work with foster children through our campus ministry because uh, uh, how I saw my dad's life turn out when, when just one person from a church really reached out to him. Uh, and she never adopted him, but she was my dad's fourth grade school teacher. And she, to this, uh, well, I was going to say to this day until she passed away, uh, a year or so ago, she was a very active part of our lives. And we would call her grandmother instead of his biological because she was truly in my dad's life and as a Christian heavily vested into my dad. Again, didn't adopt him, but was a part of his life and kept track of him well past the fourth grade uh, into my father's uh, own old age. And so to give ourselves uh, to to not just avoid evil deeds, but to give ourselves away into especially people we know that have need in our community, uh, seeing purity as that, as being purely intentional in giving our lives away to others. The purity of our actions must arise from the purity of our hearts if we are to inherit, truly inherit, the promise of seeing God one day, which we all, of course, want to do. Uh, if you go to the next one. What steps can, a single question for this verse what steps can we take to maintain the purity of our hearts, as we just read? And here we see pure water. I'm very intentional when we go to Honduras and doing a pure water project. We've been going to the same village for 10 years, seeing a lot of the kids in the medical clinic and a lot of families in our medical clinic in a small 1,000-person or so community in Honduras. Uh, we would be seeing about six or 700 of them because of stomach illness. One day I was like, why aren't we taking care of their actual need, which is the water? So we've, done, we've built uh, two towers that are water purification systems for the village, and now they have sustainability there uh, to where everybody in the village has access to water. And one of those towers is at a school. One of those towers just happens to be on church property, uh, so they have to come to the church to get it. Of course, we don't force them to go to church, but the minister is always there and very intentional and saying, hey, come back, come back, come back, come back, come back. So we, we're intentional in purifying water. Are we... In, Intentional and maintaining the purity of our hearts. What steps can we take based on the scripture we just read? And we may not have too time for these next two scriptures, but uh, what do you guys think? Isaiah fifty-eight mm-hmm. talks about fasting, and he's like, "You guys are fasting. You're doing all these things, and it, there's no benefit from this." But he says, "If you spend yourselves on behalf of others." Then your light will shine. I think that's what James was trying to get at. Look, you want you want pure religion. Mm-hmm. You you spend yourself for those who can't do it themselves, and that's what God's looking for. Then you, then you'll be unspotted because when it's all about you, it becomes all about you, and right. that's all you can see. But when you're serving somebody else, 
your 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 heart, your religion, what you're following gets purified. I guess. Amen. That's very good. Very good uh, chapter. You just. Uh, Shared with us as well. Thank you so much. I hate that chapter, honestly, because <laughs> it's one of those that you're like, it's you read it, and it's like, oh, I have to die to self again. And yeah, then, <laughs> exactly. It's not, it's not fun. Thank you. Our, our wisdom yes, sir. Once we flush the demon out of our lives, seven more move in if we don't fill our lives with intention and doing good for others. Tulsa Workshop used to be called the Tulsa Soul Eating Workshop, right? Yeah. Or is it still called Soul Saving Workshop? Okay, I thought this is my first time here. Uh, so uh, I like the intention behind a statement like that. You know, It's not just a workshop, it's a soul saving or soul winning workshop. And hopefully we are all about the business of soul saving because we have the Great Commission. You know, and uh, Jesus is our co-pilot. We need to remember he has not only gave us the challenge to go out and meet the needs of others, but he's walking with us every step of the way as well. Uh, next question, or next, uh, more, on, more than social justice, we ask ourselves, and here's three things you can write down. What is our Christian social responsibility? Of course it's serving like Jesus. Of course it's serving like Jesus. Uh, so we need to ask ourselves two questions as well in response to being more than just social justice, social justice, what can I do and what can we do? So often we like to think, what can we do and kind of forget about the what can I do? What can I do? Well, I can go home and just relax in the cover of my house and ponder these things until we get together with our church family the next time to meet, ser- meet needs through service projects or through a mission trip. And all too often we're so comfortable. And, of course, it's nice to end a work day or school day getting to go home and relax a little bit but my wife's very intentional in, uh, in making sure we don't just close the garage, but we leave it open, walk outside, actually, before we uh, eat dinner or retire for the evening, and talk to the neighbors and really talk with them, pray with them, and they're all in different. Uh, we have a wide variety of uh, socioeconomic backgrounds within our neighborhood, but she's super intentional about talking to other people, praying for their needs when they say, hey, you know, my you know, grandson's sick or... Uh, um, my spouse is not doing so well or we're having a hard time and she's setting a better example than I am sometimes when I'm, when I'm saying to our students, hey, go out and make sure you're ministering to the needs of your neighbors. Um, and so kudos to my wonderful wife over there and my two-year-old. She's a, 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 a crowd drawer as well. I just hold her up and I'll be like, okay, here come the neighbors. Great, now I can minister to them. And that's it. Uh, all right, keep going. What's missing? Oh, sorry, go back. What's missing? What more is needed? A call to action. Personal responsibility. Again, it's not, again, what can we do, but what can I do? And effective action. Really uh, going out and realizing it's not everything that we do by ourselves, but that this effective action is only can happen with the strength of Christ, that he can fill us, and that when we're full of the Spirit, we can't help but have an outpouring to other people. Uh, keep going. Why so ineffective? Why are we ineffective sometimes uh, in our service to others? We have socially dormant consciences. Uh, we intend to, again, this is another example, this class is great, uh, but is it so great if we don't do anything about it? If we leave here and then go, oh, that was wonderful, but... Our, nothing <laughs> picks up the thought in her mind. Bless you. 
uh, big gap between articulate, articulated Christian, what we say we want to do as Christians, and then live Christianity, what we actually do. So hopefully what we say and what we do match up, and, uh, and we're trying to fill that gap within our campus ministry, within our church family back home. And hopefully we're also, and you're also trying to do that as Christians within your own church families, uh, wherever you're at. Next, Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Next slide. The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? I don't remember that happening, Lord. Verse 40, the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Who in your church family is hurting? Who are we helping? Who in our community is hurting? Who are we helping? Are we really meeting the needs as we see them? We can't meet all the needs. Sometimes we get so overwhelmed by going, oh man, there's all these needs in our community, let alone the world, that I just won't meet any of them. And that's ridiculous. At least if everybody will just meet one or two person's needs, then the church can change the world. And hopefully that's all we're doing with our service uh, for Christ. Changing structures means changing minds. It means changing hearts. It means changing beliefs and values. And those three things take time. They take collaboration. Uh, Just like uh, we got our college students together to brainstorm on ways we could better serve a community. Like, what are the needs? And we try to have those brainstorming sessions at least once a semester, not just like once and then three years later go, hey, we should do that again. But do them often, taking collaboration. And then takes patience and endurance. It's not an easy road. And it's an easy road to fall off of, uh, but we need to be patient and endure and uh, really get uncomfortable uh, to bring the comfort of Christ's love to others. Next, service projects. Uh, Go ahead and hand these out. These are just some examples. They may work in your community. They may not. They may work for your church family. They may not, but hopefully they all do. Um, And so, get these out to you. Um, this was good for me to do for our own purposes as well, kind of to measure what we did this past year and to uh, and to see if we're continually. Sometimes we still do the same things we do because we've always done them. We're like, we've always done the service project. We have to keep doing that. Or we've always done this type of mission. We have to keep doing that. And some of those things we found that weren't meeting very many people's needs at all, if any. So we had to like rethink about it and go, what are we doing that's actually meeting needs, physical <coughs> needs to meet spiritual needs? And then what can we do better and change? So this past year was a year of change for us as we did some things differently. But service projects for a community, uh, St. Francis House I described to you all. Uh, wheelchair ramp service project, uh, we found... Uh, that our county was in need of volunteers to build wheelchair ramps for people that needed them. The county was applying funds, uh, like $2,000 per wheelchair ramp, and I was thinking wheelchair ramp, you know, we're talking like 
something like this right now. We're talking like a foot per inch uh, grade. So we're talking 20 foot, 30 foot wheelchair ramps that needed to be installed for people. Not metal ones because the county wasn't paying for $6,000, $7,000 metal wheelchair ramps. They were paying for $2,000 wooden ones. But they needed people to install those. And I went back to our church leader and said, hey, can we do this to our campus ministry? Can we do this? And we uh, started doing this. And there's an awesome organization uh, called... Um, what's the organization called, Julie? Suddenly I have a brain lapse. Christians yes, Christians Concerned for the Community. Uh, so we started building these wheelchair ramps uh, through the county, through them. And it's just been awesome because every time we build a wheelchair ramp, it only takes three or four hours for 10 or 15 students to build a wheelchair ramp. But then we get to talk to the person. They, they're overwhelmed because they're like, why Why would you take half your Saturday or, or at least three or four hours on your Saturday to come do this for us on a Saturday morning? You know college students hate waking up. Why do this? And they're like, well, we want to do this and we love you. And, and now can we come? We'll find a van or something to come pick you up for church tomorrow. And they're like, sure, absolutely. You know, automatically meeting a physical need that meets a spiritual need. Um, Hope Lodge, uh, serving cancer patients almost every... Uh, Hospital in America has something like Hope Lodge or Ron McDonald House attached to it. Uh, so we found that we can serve dinner to people. Uh, and uh, they asked us not to, you know, pray out loud or solicit Christ. But if they ask us about it, they're, we're more than glad to be able, and they say that's okay to talk to them. So we kind of sometimes maybe ask leading questions that get us there. But <laughs> but we, we do find ways to... To, if somebody wants to get to know Christ in their life, if they're not a Christian already, to do that. Um, visiting the Children's Hospital, Christmas for the community. Uh, something did something really good that we're doing in our county, and I, I mentioned this maybe earlier through working with foster children, is we uh, we found that you know none of the foster children were getting any type of Christmas in our community. So our church throws a big Christmas party for all 150 foster children in our county uh, that are local. Uh, we throw a bit in on the foster parents or guardians or whomever uh, 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 agents that work with the uh, local BCF. They'll bring the all foster kids to us. We throw a great big bash right before the students go home for the semester. At, uh, right before they go home for Christmas break, we have our Christmas party. We give them a gift at the party, and we also have a gift. We ask every student and every person in our church that can to buy a $20 gift, so some kid's not getting a new bicycle and some kid's getting a $10 Barbie doll, but we ask everybody to spend $20 $25, keep it equitable, and for that age range, here's recommended gifts, and we give them one at Christmas, one um, at the party, and the kids absolutely go bonkers. We even got the Gator basketball team, and they're not doing so good either, but they're doing great as far as community service, and they came and participated in this with our church, I got a couple of the players to church, and it's it's just really cool uh, to see what can be done when there's very big intention in meeting needs. Uh, and so we've gotten to minister to a lot of foster children and foster parents uh, through this uh, project. Um, skipping down to for our region, uh, we do a children's uh, camp, uh, a hurricane cleanup, uh, or tornado, or whatever. Uh, there was a big tornado that run, ran through Tuscaloosa, Alabama. We hate the Crimson Tide. But we loved going there and helping work side-by-side side with them and, and doing cleanup after a mile-wide tornado ripped through Tuscaloosa, Alabama. That was just uh, about four or five years ago. Uh, so that was a really neat service project we got to participate in with a group there. Um, and our students didn't mind missing classes at all to go do that. And of course, no professor is going to say no to the opportunity to go help uh, some of these big needs like this. 
Um, and then we do inner city service work in Miami. Uh, Gainesville, Florida doesn't really have an inner city per se. Uh, it's really a small college town again, but we find ways to go out and minister to uh, inner cities near us. Uh, for our world, we do a number of missions trips, and this is kind of uh, self-explanative of those. Uh, and a student could pick one of these trips or all four of these trips, and we get members of our church and members of other churches to come join us on these trips as well. Uh, and we try to make each one sustainable uh, in, in continuing to meet the needs in that community rather than just come for a week and then rip ourselves away and them not get anything uh, out after that. And then for our church family, we try to... Uh, I felt like our campus ministry was on an island as far as with our church family for a while where we were doing things separate and apart from our church family. We were like, oh, that's nice. We'll let older people do what they do and we'll do our thing. And I was like, no, this is not what the Bible says. What we need to be doing is working together as one. So we do a lot of projects together and those that can't do for themselves, like our elderly and shut in at church, we're very intentional in having our students help them out. And they learn a wealth of knowledge from our older members at our, at our church family too. So it's been a beautiful thing. Uh, for our students to plug in at church and help in different ways with the various age groups. Uh, so that's been awesome as well. Uh, next slide. We're almost done here. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In what ways can we be proactive peacemakers today as Christians? Uh, how can we be proactive peacemakers as Christians? Here's another open question to the audience. Are we being very good peacemakers? Or do our Facebook posts say otherwise? <laughs> One thing is there is a difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Yes. So you certainly don't want to be a peacekeeper. Yes. Yes. So could you explain that difference for us? Peacekeeper uh, doesn't really matter what the problem is. They just want everybody to be happy. And then the problem will go away. Mm-hmm. The peacemaker recognizes the problem and is proactive <coughs> in helping the parties get together and solve the problem. Yes, yes. And that's, again, the proactivity. Being the peacemaker isn't waiting for a problem to arise and keeping the peace. Uh, it's, it's being proactive and seeing potential problems or problems that are existing that we may not necessarily see right away and going out and, and trying to buy the peace of Christ to those lives, helping bring Christ's kind of peace to their lives, not just being a, a peacekeeper, uh, because a peacekeeper, and thank you so much for pointing this out, a peacekeeper uh, is in, in helps support relativism, which is a big problem on our college campuses, like this religion's okay, that religion's okay, everybody's okay, so what, if we don't distinguish ourselves as a church of Christ, or if we don't distinguish ourselves as a Christian body, as, a, as Christ followers, why would they want to follow Christ? Why would they want to if we're just being the same as any other peacekeeping organization in the world? Okay? Uh, the peace intended, this is an anonymous uh, quote, but the peace intended is not merely that of political and economic stability, as in the Greco-Roman world, Greco-Roman world but peace in the Old Testament included a sense of wholeness, all that constitutes well-being. The peacemakers, therefore, are not simply those who bring peace between two conflicting parties, but those actively at work making peace, bringing about wholeness and well-being among the the alienated, bringing Christ's peace to others. Next. Colossians 1, 19-22. 
For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Are we giving other people the opportunity to respond to Christ like we have gotten the opportunity to respond to Christ? Finding Christ's peace in their life. Uh, Next. Oh, sorry, go back. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We're going to end with this next question. Um, But I really wanted to keep things in context. I don't want to just pull out one or two verses from the Sermon on the Mount, but I wanted to read as much as we could get through. Um, So here's a question for you guys when you're thinking about serving others and the hardships around the world. Are we persecuted today as Christians? And in what ways? Of course, in the lower right corner, that's Phil Robertson from the White Ferry Road uh, Church of Christ. And uh, he came under a, a bit of fire for some of the statements he made, but were active, well, he was actively backing up what the Bible says and came under fire. And of course, ISIS and all the threats to Christians around the world. Uh, what ways are we persecuted today? Uh, how do you feel persecuted or, or do we feel persecuted? I would say that we are not persecuted. We are inconvenienced in the United States. If you read the Voice of the Martyrs, you know there are people who are persecuted. Mm -hmm. And that's real persecution. There are Christians dying right at this moment for their faith. Yeah. And we are inconvenienced, like you said. We think uncomfortable is me having to give away a coat I just bought. (laughs) And knowing I have more money to go buy another coat, you know. Inconvenience, it's sad. It's, it's sad the state of mind that we can get in in our American culture, and that's why we have to be careful. I think I was telling our students the other day, we, we get about 1,400 advertisements a day. 1,400 advertisements. You're thinking, I don't watch that much TV. I don't get 1,400 advertisements a day. Just drive down the road here in Tulsa. It, you're not even paying attention, but you're seeing signs and billboards and all kinds of things every single day. And just walk through the expo hall. I mean, there's advertisements right there. They're good advertisements, but advertisements nonetheless. We get an average of 1,400 a day. And if we're not careful, that's what infiltrates our thinking, uh, the advertising of this world, as opposed to what God wants us to think, how he wants us to think, and why we feel so revived and refreshed when we get together at workshops like this, because we're getting away from all that stuff in the world, at least for a weekend. And we go right back to it. We get we lose that sense of thinking that Christ wants us to have. Um, how else are we persecuted today as Christians? One yes. of our, I'm sorry, but one of our speakers yesterday mm-hmm. said that our persecu- we we don't want things to change in our country. We want to work on who's going to be elected and all that because we're not because we're afraid our country is going to go back to the world. It never has been a Christian nation. But because we're afraid of losing our comforts. Right. Boy, is that the truth. It's true. Wow. Absolutely true. Thank you for sharing. Yes, sir. High schools are filled with basically teenagers who want to fit in and be like this is possible. And being known as a 
all of Christ is exactly the most popular thing to say about yourself in high school. Mm-hmm. So, in that way. Our young people in public schools are under constant yeah. persecution because yeah. that's not the norm yeah, to be a Christian and act like Christ. Yeah. I only know what goes on in my high school mm-hmm. because I'm not, I can't, I don't know what goes on around the country, but I know persecution is a big deal in my school. Where are you from? I'm from Ferguson. Yes. Yeah, we try to reach out every week because we have weakness that happen on Wednesdays and Fridays. And I think anybody in here breathing knows the situation in Ferguson from what we've seen on the news. And we're praying for you, and especially as a Christian brother, knowing that you are under fire for your faith, but you can absolutely change that culture and that community one person at a time. I think beyond that, uh, like I grew up here in Tulsa, too. Yeah. Um, but for, for me in, in like high school, it was, I guess, normal to be a Christian, um, at least outwardly. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, people would like wear cross necklaces and they had the bumper stickers and the t-shirts and all of that, but they didn't live like Christ. Right. And that was abnormal. Right. And so it's, it's more of like a Christian versus a, a Christ follower and a disciple. Right. You just explained the two extremes and where Christ wants us is not on either of those, but but serving him like we should, doing what he wants us to do, and really going out and meeting the needs of the world. Thank you guys for your time. I really appreciate it. If you have any questions, I'll be up here for a couple minutes.